It's Thursday, January 5th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 428 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 50 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. And this is Wayne. Alrighty, one announcement. Uh, there's a German podcast. I know we have some Germans that listen to the podcast or some people who speak German. Why, why is that funny? <laughs> I just, it's it's not anything that comes out of my mouth from this point is going to be considered some form of, you know, racism or hate crime. So I'm just going to shut up and be pro-German. Okay. <laughs> I just thought about Dieter, like from Saturday Night Live, you know, dun, 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 would you like to touch my monkey? We're going to roll the D20s now. All right. So what is this House Steider podcast about? So... <laughs> If you're a German speaker and interested in hearing a German language podcast, then there is a podcast called Escape Podcast. I, I don't know how exactly they pronounce it, to be completely honest. I probably just butchered it. When I spoke German, because I actually did used to speak German fairly well, I took many years of it throughout high school and college. And I would never say I was fluent, but I at least did know enough that I was conversational. But... What I fell on was I had a really good vocabulary. I knew a lot of words, but I couldn't conjugate because there's just too many forms of the. In I German. usually pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I also have a very, very thick American accent when I speak German. So I don't bother, at least not anymore. But I can understand a lot more than I can speak. But, anyways, escapepodcast.de. If you're interested in that, I'll put it in the show notes. Check that out if you are a German speaker and interested in hearing something a little bit closer to home. But, hey, we, of course, hope you will also continue to remain with Fear the Boot, which is far and away the leading English language podcast for German speakers. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So... Brodor, you have an idea, or your friend has an yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I wish I could take credit for it, because it's really particularly... Dude, he's not on the podcast. You're right, you're right. So I had this epiphany, right, if you yes. will. <laughs> so I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and he's running a game, and there's a lot of, you know, NPCs and politics and peripherals, and he broached the subject with me. He said, hey, so I was thinking of getting a cabinet of game masters or a council of advisors outside the game that my players don't know about, right? That he can consult about things going on in his game, not for advice about, you know, storytelling or structure, you know, how to write good adventures, but specifically each game master that he brings together in this coalition would take on the role of a particular kingdom or a political interest or an ancient entity, and they would provide him with I'm playing this character, so I'm the nation of what have you. And so as the king of what have you, as the players in the game are taking actions against the kingdom of what have you or for the kingdom of what have you, I would be advising him outside the game about my interests as the king of what have you. So then you would be the king of don't give a squirt and you would be the Lord general of some army of orcs or what have you. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter. The point being is, is that what Scott's doing is he's getting a group of people together behind the scenes, unbeknownst to his players that he can mine for ideas about the political interests of 
of powerful individuals or powerful nations. So I love the idea, and I love the idea even more of having it be, you know, separate kingdoms that don't interact with each other, because then you can have the two kingdoms stepping on each other's toes, and the players have that chance or maybe to capitalize. Do interact with each other, but it's like you have a game between the games. Except it's played amongst the NPCs. It's not played amongst the PCs, right? Because we've talked about things like this for having PC to game master actions take place between the game or PC to PC actions take place between the games through email or whatever. But I think this thing does two awesome things. One is it brings these other perspectives in. But secondly is it gives you the opportunity to develop these things in a way a single game master is not going to. Because I'm going to have my own perspectives, my own ideas. You know, we we talk about that game all the time, obviously, with Sarah and Sir William and Narl and whatever. And one of the things that Chad always comments on is that because he gave us each our own section of the world, we did a whole lot of development that he didn't do, but he was able to use in the game to add depth to the world. What we're talking about here that I think is such a great idea that Brodor had and Scott's trying to steal credit for. <laughs> but, I mean, fortunately, we have the platform and he doesn't, so it's patented now. But Well, it has been spoken on Fear the Boot. Yeah, it is truth. It, and I want yeah. you to know this podcast does stream. It's not from Libsyn. Libsyn is actually just takes it from a feed right from the patent office, which is where this passes through. But I, I think it's a great idea because if you bring in these other game masters – then you can shoot them text message or catch them between games and say, hey, they're doing this. This is who you are. And first off, I'm probably going to develop this a lot more than you would. You've got five, ten major powers to develop for this game, plus characters to think about and and plots and all this other stuff. If all I have to think about is what does this ancient demon want and why is he the way he is, and how is he going to go about his plans, and Wayne's kingdom has some mages, and they're fundamentally good, but maybe I can cut a corrupting deal with his mages or something like that. And so I start developing these things out, and then maybe Wayne and I kind of start colluding and saying, you know, well, what if this happened, and we can bring elements back to the game that match the complexity that the players are bringing to the game through their characters and develop these things to adapt that you just as a single game master wouldn't necessarily have done. Yeah. I can tell you when I have multiple, you know, antagonists out there, one of them is the a, one of them is the B the a, and that's just how I rank them in my mind. The a is the one that I've got fully developed. Let's say the a is a novel. The B is a novella. I'm not giving the same level of attention to both of them, but if I could push that out to another GM... you could GM, farm out the work, right? Yeah. Then they could truly be equal. Well, and the human mind is complex and it's diverse, but it is fundamentally finite. And if you play with anyone long enough, you start to notice their trends, their ruts. You've yeah. probably made calls in games, whether you're a game master or a player, based on, well, I know so-and-so and they would or would not do this, or this is the way that they typically tend to do it. But if I am running an NPC that's not based on my writing, but is instead based on Brodor's take of what this kingdom wants and would do, and a behind-the-scenes session that Wayne and Brodor had together on ways that they're now colluding 
fighting. Yeah, I mean, because they don't have to be working yeah. together. They right. can be opposing each other. And all of a sudden, there's now a greater unpredictability to the game from the player's perspective because these aren't all things from the mind of Dan, right? These are, and I can't believe, brother, you tried to steal this idea from me. <laughs> you know, it has been spoken. <laughs> it's, I mean, this is one of the best ideas I've had. And, and you try to steal it from me, and the Scott guy tries to steal it from you. I mean, it just, word is a sin, and the German podcast is stealing everything from all of us. It doesn't end before I steal the idea, because I love this. So, yeah, I think this is a great idea. I've, I've never done this. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to hear a book report from you. Sure. When, when Scott goes out and tries my idea, <laughs> I, I, I want to hear a book report on how this goes. Well, well this would work really well for me right now, because running the Dresden Files game, the way things have happened in this world is... Beth's character, who is a Knight of the Cross, is the head of a council of all of the paranormal in St. Louis. Each one is a faction that's doing its own thing. And I would love to be able to get some people and feel free to shoot me emails. I mean, I, I'll take people from the forums. I don't care. Well, and, and, and that's I think that's actually a really fun idea, too, is that as a game master, just go out to the forums, to the community and say, hey, I have these yeah. factions guys throw your ideas at me yeah i need somebody to run the vampires the werewolves the gypsies the cabalic mages <laughs> well and one of the other things that scott pointed out which i thought was uh well basically what i did was i ran with your idea and then scott ran with the idea right, that i right, stole right, from you right okay but something that scott pointed out is unlike the the other hosts on the show most of our individual game groups you end up with one or two people in that particular group as the constant game master. So yes. they don't get the opportunity to play as regularly as they'd like to. So this gives them a creative outlet for a game that they're not running, that they're not responsible for. They can just do fluff and then dump that fluff back on the game master, which I thought, you know, the opportunity for creativity and a little bit of sort of faux role play behind the scenes was a good one. Yeah, because I definitely am one of those players that I like to play and I like to run. I want to split that. And if I am running for a long time, sometimes I do feel that itch to play, yeah. which is why I have multiple groups now. But that's beside yeah. the point. For me personally, if I'm honest, I'd always rather run. But I'm with you, brother. I prefer yep. to run. But it's not to say I don't like to play. But I, I do kind of prefer to run. But anyways, once, yeah, I, I want to hear how this pans out. Because I would love to give some practical commentary beyond the concept but we've never attempted this. This is like just something right now that just, you know, I came up with and Scott's going to run with. Right. And so we're going to see how that goes. Well, and I think for me, it would be important that the players and, and, and I don't know, I'm sure people out there are going to disagree. But for me, it would be important that my players don't know I'm doing it. Right. Like, I, and I don't want to be a dick and take credit really? for other people's work, but I just I'm just not going to tell them. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to have my game with my game master friends via text and email. And then my well, I'm just going to run the game for my PC. My gaming groups would totally yeah. want to know. Yeah. And Wayne, I, I know it's the yeah. same thing over there, because if behind the scenes, this or that factions being run by somebody else they're going to want to know i mean eventually <laughs> yeah, how yeah. the sausage was made they're not yeah. going to want it spoiled on the spot but they're going to want to eventually that when they were going up against this or that 
you know, elder God or whatever it is, that this is the person who was actually designing that those actions. Sure, and, and then you can yeah. guess them in, right? So they have a big reveal, and then the next game session, whoever, you know, whatever, whichever one of your friends came up with that great idea, you invite them over to just hang out, have beer and pretzels, and yeah. BS with your players and let them pick their brain for a bit, you know, during the game. That'd be fun. Yeah, I already know who I'm going to ask to run the werewolf, so... I, I'm going to go with this idea. So, I like it. And I have, so for me, I also have a OneNote out there that I have, that I can share out. So I can have this collaborative place where people can come out and write in their stuff. Yeah, that's that's a cool idea. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Scott, I hope it goes well for you. So main topic for today, this one, to give credit where credit is due, is actually Viminion on our forums who threw this one out there. Though he was mostly just parroting back my ideas, but you know, which I think originally Wayne pitched, <laughs> and, and I think Scott gave it to Wayne before Vermillion stole it from me. Uh, it's terrible, <laughs> and so, but the, he he pointed something out because we were talking about an episode or two back things that you don't want in your game. Right. For example, one of my things is I don't typically want people playing half orcs we talked about how in the past we did not allow people to play across genders because of the fact that it was it was abused it was never done seriously and we backed off on that as we got older and the people we were playing with got more mature about the subject but he made the point which i think is an excellent one and i want to pause here for a moment not to blue ball everyone, because I want to say right now, the topic that we're about to talk about is probably going to stumble into some areas that are going to be sensitive for people. And so I don't think there's anything in here that's offensive or going to be disturbing. But what I would do want to say is I want to ask you guys for a little bit of patience because if we phrase something in a way that's not quite right... Because we will. Because we will. We're, we're speaking extemporaneously here. We're just talking off the top of our heads. We're not reading off notes. So if we say something a little bit wrong or kind of offensively, please do presuppose we have the best of intentions and you know, don't get yourself too wound up about this. Because I think the topic's important, but I don't think this is one that we can cover without saying something that's going to deeply offend somebody but we're going to do our best so just just please have a little patience with us here what the minion pointed out is he said that there is something that you kind of got to watch for in games which is that sometimes people may intentionally or unintentionally and and this is my phrase not his because it just was the first thing that came to my mind you guys know the x card we talked about oh, yeah. shows back. so an x card for anyone who's not familiar with it is you put it down on a table it's just a big X on a card. Sometimes it has a little text with it. And the idea is that if anyone at the table is offended by something that occurs, they just touch that card and the game master kind of rolls it back. And I explained in a previous episode why I think it's a good idea for conventions or strangers, but I don't like it amongst circles of friends because it, it's a long story. Yeah. Check prior episodes and, and discussions because we dissected it in great detail. But what he described, how I termed it in my head because I was thinking of, I just watched the Logan trailer, is I suddenly called it the Weapon X card. <laughs> because what you do or could do is you intentionally or unintentionally play something that you know is going to cross somebody else's boundaries if certain bad things are done to that character and thereby make yourself untouchable. Let me give a real simple example. Pat 
has a real issue with violence against children. So if I'm playing in a game that Pat's running, which won't happen because Pat doesn't GM, but let's say that happened, if I play a child, well, I now know when a fight breaks out, I can get in the middle of the rough, right? And I can do some stuff, and I know the town guard's not going to stab me because Pat struggles with violence against children. Or maybe it doesn't even work that way. Maybe Brodor's running the game. And I'm back in the sh- out of your kid. Well, that, and I'm not even kidding. But that, I'm talking big old mailed hand across the back. Right, of right. Face. But that's what I'm saying is I've been in games before where I play the child, you give me a good old curb stomping. Right. And all of a sudden, Pat, you know, this crosses one of his major issues. Sure. And so he kind of, you know, he tweaks out a bit and the game comes to a screeching halt where now we've got basically one of three choices. Either you can't hit me because it'll upset Pat. You can hurt me, but only in really, really, really limited ways that don't upset Pat, which once again means I'm basically getting away with a whole lot. Or we go to, I guess we can branch down to one of the full extremes. I either have to stop playing the kid or Pat just has to get over it, right? And I I saw this happen in a Skies of Glass game that I was running. And the specific issue was, and I, I don't want to dissect the whole gaming story, but the specific issue was domestic violence. And there was a female character, and once again, I don't want to get into trying to explain the plot of this, but there was a game-significant reason why there was a scene of domestic violence that involved this woman. And there was a, a woman that we were playing with who was very bothered by this scene. Now, in that case, I could have pulled the character because it was an NPC, and the situation did involve the PCs. The player characters actually sort of unintentionally created the situation, but it was a problem I could have worked around. It upset her to the point that I wasn't sure I could continue telling that story. And so we switched over to a game that just doesn't deal with human ugliness in such an up-close and personal way. You know, we dealt with a game that backs off a bit. But the point being that imagine, like, and I have this happen all the time, where somebody comes to me and says, well, I want to play a race that's on the outs, right? We're in fantasy, and I'm going to play a half-orc who's not wanted around here. Or we're playing sci-fi, and I'm going to play an alien that nobody likes. Or, and I've seen this game, we're going to play a game set in the Weird West around the time of the Civil War, and I'm going to play a black guy. And it's like, okay, hold up. Because if you do this, you understand what that means. And depending on the system, like let's say we're playing Savage Worlds, something that has a person flaws system, you might have got some flaw points for choosing to be socially hated, right? Right. You're, You're somebody blankety blank in 1850s Mississippi, right? And that's got you some points, but now all of a sudden, because of the social issues surrounding that, I'm not comfortable really hitting you over the head with that. Or maybe I am and you are, but some third party at the table freaks yeah. out. That's why I think it's so important to do, you know, some permutation of the group template before the game ever begins. So you sat down with the group, you talked about what the campaign's going to be about, you know, the major themes you want to explore, sure. genre, blah, blah, blah. But then you talk about exactly that kind of stuff before anybody's made their character. You have that conversation before we've ever picked up pencil and paper and started writing stats down and backstories, right? So I know as the game master, that's the character you want to play, but Wayne may may have some sensitivity toward that. And I want to know that going into the game as opposed to having to put some stupid 
fucking card in the center of my table. Well, there's also, though, the chance that they may not realize it until the moment. So going to a media example, Legends of Tomorrow, the DC Comics TV show. They have a black character and they went back in time to around the Civil War. The They want to leave him behind in the ship because, of course, it's a bad time for him to be out there. And he gives a whole speech about how when is it not a bad time. But then he interacts with slaves and he sees what it's actually was like for slaves. And that is a big impact on the character. Hmm. He thought he would be good in any time until actually seeing what had happened up close and personal. And I think something like that could happen around the table as well. You might think you're good with the situation until you actually see it play out and the gm is being accurate and not softballing you. yeah an example of this outside of role playing is who played the bad guy in Django? was that matt damon no that was leonardo dicaprio leonardo dicaprio yeah. okay when, when they got to the d is silent <laughs> yeah when, when they got to the the, the a scene in Django, excuse me <laughs> no i like to say to Django too <laughs> okay but when they got to a particular or scene in that no, there's a quote from the movie the, the yeah, yeah, yeah i've seen got, it all right it's 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 a very it's a very gonzo movie yeah. uh, i don't know it's you're either gonna probably love it or hate it i love tarantino <laughs> but i can't stand him but it was an entertaining movie but when they were filming that the first scene where leonardo dicaprio was supposed to start playing. And in the movie, for anyone that's not seen it, he plays a very racist man from the South. And the first scene where he is supposed to really start cutting loose, you know, and obviously he's seen the script. He's pre-read it. His agents read it. He knows exactly what it is he has to say. But when they sat him down across from Samuel L. Jackson, right. he had to interrupt filming because he's like, I can't say it. Right. And Samuel L. Jackson was, I, I can't, re- I cannot repeat what he said. All right. right. But boy, Samuel L. Jackson basically, uh, shall we say, brought him into the moment. <laughs> um, in, in the way you can imagine Samuel L. Jackson trying to coax you and just dropping an end bomb. But the point is that, that until that moment hit, and I have no doubt he had some trepidation, but it was not until that moment hit that he's surrounded by cameras and, and the crew you know, I'm sure many of which themselves, you know, were people of color. And he's sitting directly across from a household name, right. you know, black actor. And he's supposed to start dropping this word. And in the moment, he suddenly realizes, I can't do this. And they had to stop filming for a bit to coax him into doing the scene. Now, that's a job, right? That's very different yeah. than role playing. Because they understand that, you know, this is what you signed up for. It's a job. It's blah, blah, blah. It's very different than saying, this is a character I invented, this is our hobby, this is our downtime, and now suddenly I'm introducing an issue that somebody at the table may not have even realized until the moment that they didn't want to deal with it or weren't able to deal with it psychologically for some reason. Yeah, in one game, I played the only alien on the crew. I didn't realize what that was going to become, and the character had a lot of racism aimed at him. And it wasn't something I didn't sign up to say, I'm going to play the only alien to do that. I signed up because it was an Epoch of Rysos game and nobody was going to try out the alien race. 
I'll try out the alien race. And sure enough, I, I didn't realize that. And it was, oh, it bugged me by the end. Oh, you got a softball too, because you actually played a species that humanity really likes. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you're not human. Right. right. Exactly. Well, and it wasn't anything that you as the GM were doing, Dan. It was the other players at the table were, were being racist. He's too. correct. He's, it actually, because from a setting standpoint, the species Wayne was playing, humanity, generally speaking, really likes. And so the NPCs, the vast majority of them were actually perfectly genteel towards way. In fact, his species had actually helped humanity had kind of saved their bacon in a really big war. And so humans really like these yeah. guys. It wasn't like I was going out of my way to pick something that was the outsider. Yeah, he actually played. He, he played an insider, right? He played somebody. Right, but he's still not us. Well, yeah. and, and he's right. It was the other players, actually, right. that sort of dogpiled him. It was not me as the game master. It was the other players dogpiled him. And I just sort of let it ride because <laughs> if that's the characters they're playing, that's the characters they're playing. Yeah. It, you know, but. Wayne, what that brings up is one of the ways that people had used to try and get around this is laundering the issue, is is passing the issue through something else. So you say, well, okay, we're not going to deal with actual real-world racism or violence mm-hmm. against children or anything like that, but let's take Shadowrun. I don't have to use Django language, right? I can call you... A dandelion eater or what's the one in Dragon Age, a knife ear, you know, or something like that. And you launder these exact same issues through science fiction and fantasy terms, but you still end up with the same issues of hatred, exclusion, bigotry, you know, whatever. And if the game master softballs these, I question how honest they're really being about the setting. And I really have an issue with it if, and, and this is, the, I think, the one situation that would really bother me, would be if the person got a point by out of it. Like, they got some yeah. kind of perk point out of it. Right, because you you have to, if you're going to earn some sort of benefit from something that's supposed to be a disadvantage, you have to suffer the consequence on some level of that disadvantage. Well, sometimes it's also easy for the GM to forget, too. Because the GM's dealing with all of these characters around the table. You know, they don't all have particular issues. So going through an example of a superhero game that I was in, one character was blind, but they had a sense that was kind of like a daredevil sense. Kept forgetting it. So he would the GM would be describing My brother know, my brother's yelling at whatever device he's listening to this on right now. He's like, Oh my god, Daredevil's blind. <laughs> so the GM was describing things like, you know, oh, it's a red dress. And the, the player in this case, being a good player, is like, I don't know that. I'm blind. <laughs> and the player would call him on it and point out, no, I have a flaw. I can't tell that. Yeah, I'll do that. I, I played in my brother's uh, Paranormal World War II game. My I have a hearing impaired character has, is hard of hearing. So sometimes he'll say stuff and I'll be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I've had somebody uh, pull that on me in a uh, game and I couldn't. Uh, I kept falling for it because I, I thought they were being serious. Right. Like, I thought they actually didn't hear me. I didn't realize they were just... So I, I'm curious, though. I mean, for me, and I don't know, I, I can be kind of drastic and extreme and, sure. you know, kind of gonzo myself. I'm curious because just running through my head, I'm trying to think personally of things that 
I would have difficulty separating the fiction and drama of the role-playing game that I would not have difficulty, let me correct that, that I wouldn't have difficulty separating from the real world. I mean, I'm not a fan of, you know, sexual assault. I don't need it. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't want to have the rape scenes and get into the detail. That's just, it, it's not for me. Or torture scenes or what have you. Sure. But I can still separate the game at the table and the fiction from reality. So I'm decent at this when it comes to everyone knows I'm a big animal lover. I, right. The idea of putting a situation in a game that would harm an animal is something I just, it wouldn't come to mind. I wouldn't want to do it. I let John kill Beth's dog in a game. It happened. It rolled on the table. If Sarah would have been in the group, I wouldn't have let it happen mm-hmm. because I know as big of an issue as it is for me, it's a bigger issue for her. So like in her case... When we were doing Pathfinder Society, she rolled to attack. It hurt a dog. And then she's rolling, doing every roll afterwards to heal the dog and got other players at the table is actually a really cool moment because all the other players at the table are helping her try to save the life of this dog that just <laughs> attacked us because it really upset her. Yeah. Because she can't always pull that. I've got the same veil. thing going on with Carla of wait, what was the site? And I'll put this in the show notes. It does the dog die.com. So if you're about to watch a movie or play a video game and you want to know if the dog dies, does the dog die.com. But. At what point in Fallout 4 you actually grill dog meat? (laughs) Well, that was one of the things that when Fallout 4 first came out, a lot of people had some trepidation because they're like, okay, we know what you're going to do, Bethesda. You're going to get us attached to the dog because dog meat's no longer kind of an optional NPC. Dog meat is now a much bigger part of your character's life. He's much more the household pet. Yeah. He's, not, he's not the NPC with four legs. And there is a mod, by the way, that replaces him with Harambe, which is freaking hilarious. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is that a lot of people like, you know, Bethesda, we see where you're going with this. You're going to go for a cheap, tear-jerking moment when dog meat dies. And their devs and such, and their, I don't remember who, but their, their higher-ups had to come out and say, no. You have our word, dog meat does not die in the game. He's there to the end. And even with that, I couldn't play with him. Because you take him out there and he'll get shot and he he whines. Yeah, he lays and on the floor the and the sound cries. is so realistic yeah, that good. not only did it cause me to have reaction, all of the pets in the house were reacting to it. My dogs were whining with it. They were getting upset. The cats were hissing. Yeah, and it's celebrating. (laughs) It's I couldn't play with them on there. Oh, Carla gives me the same grief if I'm because I have a mod on there that because a dog meets not a typical follower sidekick or whatever. He's treated differently on the skill tree and such. I'm of the school of thought that he really shouldn't be a follower. And so there's a mod you can get where he does not count as your companion. So you have dog meat plus another person. So dog meets always following you. And so I always have him with me. And Carla has the same kind of reaction. Or if he's on the floor whimpering, she starts like, he'll dog me. And so yeah. I have to back away. And- he, he is the only follower that I've wasted like healing things on. Yeah, tons of stim packs. Yeah, on. I don't revive the others because they'll pop back up themselves. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to risk my beautiful enclave armor. But <laughs> <laughs> another one like this, right, is the game that, that either just released or is about to release, I think actually just released, which is Last Guardian, which is a PlayStation game. And in it, you have this giant bird, dog, cat thing that's like, I don't know, it's like it's like Falcor, I guess. It's with you, right? And his name is Trico. And I've not played the game yet, and so I'm going to say spoiler-free. 
But one of the things that I had to look up before I even thought about getting this game was, does Carla put a stipulation? She's like, if Trico dies, I don't want to see this game. And so I had to look up, how does the game end for Trico? And I came to find out, spoiler-free version, if you stick through the credits and watch the mid-credit scene, Trico is, it's a happy enough ending. Okay, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, Wayne, I think, and I've come up with two ideas for dealing with this. One is, I think Broder's right, that absolutely table-side conversation. Okay, so-and-so is playing a kid. Within the course of the game, are you all right with something bad happening to this kid? You know, all right, even a bad guy, if they're a reasonable human being, may think twice before pulling the trigger. Well, and let's say in a regular combat, if you're looking at a party, you've got the big muscular guy with the sword. Sure. And you've got a little kid. Which one is the bigger threat? But if you run afoul... Of course, the little kid. Oh, so... What's he doing hanging with the big sword guy without being worried? <laughs> Shoot oh, the kid. Oh, it's it's like in D&D. There's no such thing as a harmless old man. Exactly. Ever. No, you kill the wizard first. You, you always. always. The old man <laughs> who sits around doing nothing and saying in non-sequitur stuff, <laughs> he is the most dangerous man on the planet, all right? I guarantee you this. This is a fantasy truism. You know, I I can say, well, look, the average person might think twice. That doesn't mean there aren't bad people who would hurt this kid. That doesn't mean the attack robot who's just following its programming isn't going to gun this kid down or take a big old battle fist and smash him. That doesn't mean some alien who has no sympathy for humanity at all or maybe doesn't even recognize the concept of a child. Or recognizes that they're delicious. Or, yeah, or maybe does recognize they're delicious and tears them apart. And so I think that conversation yeah. is a critical first step. And if you can't get past that honest conversation saying, look, if you're going to play the one guy who's the dark elf, who's the, the whatever it is, and the other people at the table are not okay with what that is going to mean, then it's off the table immediately. Yep. And for that character, they need to understand as well, if you're trying to convince somebody of something, let's say you're talking to a soldier, the soldier isn't going to take the same information from a child that he would take from an adult. Well, sure. And depending on the system, conceivably... You're getting flaw points out of that. You know, you're getting point by stuff out of that. Once again, depending on the system, if it's something like D&D, maybe you're not directly getting points, but you're getting access to the abilities of a particular species. You know, when I played a knoll, I got certain perks for playing a knoll yep. that you would not have gotten from playing other species. Now, he was balanced in with the other species in the game, but... And I don't care who you are. If you're playing a 10-year-old, I'm not giving you a role to seduce anyone. Ew. No. <laughs> no. Damn, Wayne. Oh, wow. Well, uh, that I, gave me pause. <laughs> I'm just saying some mechanics of the game may be sure. off the table right. because of the flaw that you've picked. Uh, though, actually, I will have to say, as, as messed up as it is, I have seen some people in the moment of role play who were not, weren't genuinely that twisted, but they look at the world, they say, well, this, this the setting we're in is kind of twisted. If that's what he's into, I'm not going to go all Alita here. But if that'll get them to give me something, then I'll fake it until I run. You know, and I'm not suggesting this by a stretch of the imagination. You, you guys heard my raw reaction there. But, but the point being, all right, I think the second thing I would do, though, is what I just did. Let me explain that. As I sat there working through the scene, you guys had some visibly distraught looks on sure. your faces, as you should. And I'm sure there were people listening to us who were like, Dan, WTF, which is correct. I think that is something I would try. I say, okay, you really think you guys are okay. We've gotten past conversation phase. You're okay with so-and-so playing a child. All right, let me describe a scene for you 
we're going to role play out of combat with an alien that doesn't care or an attack robot that doesn't care. Or if a you, grenade that doesn't play favorites. Precisely. Oh, God, I love grenades. Or a Leonardo DiCaprio who has to drop end bombs. Right. And we're going to see if you guys really can, because the problem I run into more often than not, it's not failure to plan at the start. It's people don't realize until the moment happens how much it's going to bother them. Or maybe they misunderstood that maybe they thought, well, if I play the elf in a bigoted shadow run city, they're going to make me sit at the back of the bus. And they didn't realize, no, actually, that means we're going to be burning Celtic knots in your yard or whatever it is you do. I don't know how you harass an elf, but huh. the, the point being, you mansplain, you mansplain, <laughs> you know, and sometimes even in a game where somebody's doing a pretty good job of it, I think Chad did a decent job of showing the fear of Knowles in the Gnarl game. I think there's times where he forgot about it entirely, too. Well, it also... Because Gnarl was a very eloquent Noel. Yes, Gnarl was very much a house Noel. <laughs> and I think it also... <laughs> it helps that he was also constantly following around Saren, who was a man of culture and also a man who, for a lot of the game, was the guy in power. And you don't get to question who his best friends are. Right. If his best friend just so happens to be a Noel... If you value the connection between your head and your shoulders, you just don't say anything. You treat him like you do anybody else. But I think it also didn't bug me because of the fact that I came into the game knowing what it meant. I was a beast. I was, I mean, hell, when the game started, we were a traveling circus, more or less. I was a sideshow attraction. Is You know, humanity had just had this war with gnolls, among other races, but the gnolls were one of them. And it's basically like, you know, oh, here's the big scary gnoll creature. Come and let your kids climb on him and pull on his ears, and he won't kill you for a copper. And that's what he was. He was a sideshow attraction. Or, you know, bet him a silver that you can last 30 seconds in a ring with him without, you know, and of course he'd have to hold back because killing people's bad for business, but he still was enormous. He was nearly eight feet tall and had off the chart strength stats and all this stuff. But there were times where Chad very much, you know, said, okay, you're not getting much of anywhere or the gnolls that you're running into, they don't like you because they have become either so domesticated that they're not interested in your more animal streak anymore, or they're still so feral and true to their original nature, they see you as a sellout. And so I was as hated by my own people, as which is why Narl had to be very selective about who became the white mask clan, was because of the fact that he was as hated by his own people as he was by the humans. You see, that's interesting and nuanced. So when you said house knoll, the shock value of it hit me. But then after actually listening to the explanation about not only is it the humans, obviously, right. who are afraid of you, but other knolls expressed sure. disrespect for you because of your position in society. That's interesting. Yeah. It was the, uh, this really actually kind of hurts to say, it was the best portrayal of racism that I've ever seen in <laughs> game and it's kind of hard to even say describe something as a best portrayal when you're dealing with racism but it was the most well done most nuanced racism i've seen happen in a game that's awesome and it added to the game one of the first games that i played this was before wayne was in the group but one of the first games that i played with that group you know i gave the example earlier of doing 
a Weird West around the Civil War, that was the game they were playing, is they were playing a Weird West set in the South around the time of the Civil War. And I asked them, I said, look, you know, in terms of family heritage, half my family's North, half my family's South. That's real me, not my character. Dan, half my family was from the North, half my family's from the South. If you look through my family tree, you'll find both Union and Confederate soldiers. As a result, I know some of my family history is even near family history. I don't have to go back tons of generations. That is very, very upsetting. Some of these stories I won't repeat until certain relatives have passed away for their sake. But I will say there's one story in particular where the first time I heard it, it actually messed me up so much, distressed me to a point that no joke, I actually had to go talk to a counselor for a little bit because I couldn't level it in my head. Like I couldn't picture this person doing those things. And when I sat down at that table, I mean, I asked them point blank. I said, I know what the real deal looks like. I don't have to give you some cartoon portrayal. I know what the real ugliness of this scenario looks like. But I'm not saying I have to put that in your game. What I need to know from you guys is what do you want? Because I was playing a guy who was a basically Confederate Dragoon. He was a light cavalryman who had done a lot of scouting and pathfinding and things like that. But not every Confederate was that bigoted. I mean, it's fairly well known. I don't want to get into a big... You know, what exactly was the Civil War over? I'm not looking to get into that. But the fact is, it is historically documented fact that, for example, Stonewall Jackson was an abolitionist. All right. So not everyone in the South was the same. Okay. Yes, bad things, bad things, bad things. No argument there. But they were not all the same. And so I said, you know, I can dial this back. There's a number of Southern archetypes that I could play here. What is it you guys actually want and they told me in more or less terms, this is years ago, so I apologize for getting this a little bit wrong, but they told me more or less that they wanted it to be relatively authentic. And so, you know, I kind of played that out for the, a bit. And the first time that I started to get a little bit real with it, I could tell it was bugging one or two of the other players. And so I immediately backed off. Now, in that case, no big deal, because... I would like to think I was relatively sensitive to it. I would like to think that both I and the group handled it maturely. And it was not a crux of the character. It was not like I had taken balancer points where, you know, I have an uncontrollable mouth and a really bigoted mind and all these horrible things. And as a result, it was a Savage Worlds game. So as a result, I got, you know four extra points in character creation. I can imagine how it would have gone differently if that had been part of the character pitch and part of the character mechanic and part of the balancer, right? That I'd come into this saying, you know, I'm going to play something that by every rights of the setting should have a real issue. And it's really unfortunate, but my solution to this, generally speaking, has been I don't allow it because of the fact that I've had it go wrong so many times that I just flat out say, look, If you want to play the outsider race, if you want to play the child, if you want to play whatever, and I think even 1%, there could be a problem with this. I just don't allow it. You can't do it. So if there's no mechanical issue with it, you know, it's it's different to me if there's a mechanical issue, if they're getting bonus points for it. I think it is fair to have the conversation ahead of time about some of, you know, some of the issues. And if it's something the table doesn't want to explore and it's not core to the setting, sure, leave it out. Best example of this being, if you're playing a game set in, you know, the Middle Ages, but you have female players, and you don't want those female players to be second-class citizens. I have no problem with wiping that out if that's a conversation around the table and everyone agrees. We don't want authenticity. We want this fun setting. Exactly. But if there's points involved in it, 
they're getting points for it, then there's a, there's a counter there. That has to be balanced with something. Yeah. See, that's where I think as a game master, I do a good job. I'm a firm believer in the zero session, where before the game ever starts, the first meeting of all of the players is to have exactly these conversations. Where I'm bad is I often look for sort of shock jock moments in the Mm -hmm. game that I know will be startling to the players. I mean, shock jock is derogatory. I don't do it just to be shocking and controversial, but I'm looking for elements in the game that will be alarming to the players and will evoke some kind of response. If I get jaw drops around the table, the sense of pride I feel and the sense of accomplishment that I've just shocked the whole table right. is a good feeling for me. Yeah, and, and I'm with you there, but I'm sure, I am certain that sometimes in my game mastering past that I have had players right. be very bothered by something. I mean, I had one game session where my wife, was literally, she's sitting there at the table, she's got tears welling up in her eyes, and my buddy's wife, who's also playing in the game, she won't look at me. I was very proud. <laughs> so proud. And, and that moment is still a moment to this day. My players talk about, do you remember when? And I'm right. like, I do. It was beautiful. <laughs> I think my gun shyness on this comes from the fact that what I'm describing in all of its iterations, for me, this is the cemetery gates. This is the point where if we pass beyond, I have buried too many games. Yeah. And this is why I hesitate to do it. I mean, Broder, let me give you another example. That game continued, by the way. I mean, we, to its fruition. Right, right, right. No, I've had, but I'm telling you, man, I've had too many games dial. Now, there have been times where I've been able to bring that amount of realism or that shock or whatever and I've known the people well enough to know what their boundaries are. There's a lot of established history there, and I mean a lot, to where I've been able to introduce elements that are distressing, and the game has not died there. But so many times, even with people where I thought I understood their boundaries, I thought I got where they were at, that it just it didn't pan out. And I think some of it also comes down to I mean, people are obviously different. Everyone has their different things that set them off. Everyone has their different backgrounds. Some people are more sensitive than others. Some people, quite frankly, are sensitive, but like to pretend they're not. You know, they they like to kind of tough it out. And so there are certain people that I know, if they told me they're okay with something, I could believe them. But that is an incredibly short list. It is an incredible, I mean, like, I could count it on one hand and run out of fingers. Short list. And... That's why the surprises, too, because you never know what's happening in someone's life. So, yes, for example, you know, maybe I think something isn't a big deal. I introduce a character that's dying of cancer, not knowing that people and someone in the group is has it and is struggling because they haven't shared it yet. Not. Yeah, exactly. In this case, not knowing Pat's diagnosis, because sometimes people aren't immediate about telling you those things. And so, yeah, I mean, there's. Sometimes even innocuous issues like that can come. Now, of course, a lot of these, they don't matter as much because some of these can be tertiary issues. You just you just work around, you write them out. You know, yeah. it's, it's like you said, 
Does the torture scene really need to be in there? If it's no. gonna, if it's going to bother somebody, no, you just no. pull it out. Well, of the and game. it's much more powerful if it's done in a Hitchcockian style. Sure. Right? Oh, I agree. I agree. But let's let's say, for example, because I think this is where that type of issue could come up. Is let's say in character design, once again, we're playing a system where it's got a point value, or maybe even it doesn't. But I tell you that it's a major part of my character's background that I have PTSD from having been kept in horrible conditions and tortured and all these things, you know, like Hanoi Hilton, you know, kind of thing. You know, I've been kept in these terrible, terrible circumstances and or I have some background of abuse or whatever. And maybe it's role play. Maybe it's whatever. But once again, as a game master, I've got to say I've reached a point where outside of a really small number of people, it's why I veto. It's why I just say, no, you can't play a kid. No, you cannot play a half-orc. No, you can't play that. You know, it's not because, even if I've never seen it abused, it's because I don't know where this is going to end. And I would much rather have you play a human adult than a half-orc child, and I have to bury my wonderful campaign half a game in, because the first time a half-orc child got treated like a half-orc child, someone at the table did a table flip on me and we're done. If everything is stable, it's one thing. But if you feel like your group has already had a game or so that's failed and you're a little nervous and it's already an uphill battle, why set out landmines? Yeah. You know, and I got to say, speaking to the more innocent possibility, Wayne, the one you mentioned earlier, which is the GM just forgets. Yeah, I, I've had this a few times where somebody plays an outsider race or an outsider whatever, something that's supposed to be socially objectionable. And I simply just forget about it, or I'd rather focus on other things in the game, or whatever the issue is exactly. They've reached a point where they're so powerful they could kill all the town guard anyway, so I, I can't really make it a thing. I think in those cases... Shame on the player that did that, because many times they knew damn well they were doing that. And that, that is what I mentally tagged as the Weapon X card. <laughs> um, <laughs> intentionally picking something, because you know you're going to get out of some amount of threat, or you're going to get some perk points, or you're going to be able to weasel out of social situations or combats, or who knows what. Because either I'm not going to want to deal with it, or I'm afraid to deal with it, or I'll have forgotten it's a thing. And shame on those people. But, yeah, I think that's a little bit more of an open and shut issue than (laughs) trying to figure out everyone's landmines. All right, well, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you got something out of this episode, something to think about at least. And uh, Brodor, I'm still interested to hear how Scott does with my idea. And uh, Well, I think it's great that three middle-aged white guys just taught the audience about race about, relations yes, and role-playing about games. diversity, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I think that was important. I, uh, yes, three middle-aged, middle-class, <laughs> cis-hat white men just explored the issue of diversity, yeah. of diversity in gaming. And you know what I say? You're welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and we plug some Germans. <laughs> so thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week, great game. We're very, very sorry for everything, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.